I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. I want to ask you a question this morning. Why, why are you here? Why did you get up this morning and put forth the effort to come to this place? If I were to ask you to take a pen and write down three reasons you came today, what would be on that list? Maybe someone would write down, well, it's Father's Day. I came to church to go to church with Dad. It's not a bad reason. Maybe you would say, well, I just really enjoy the music every week. I want to get up and uh, go hear the music. And I would add, didn't Addie show her dad up this morning? I need to add that, all right? They did a great job. Those are good reasons. But I want us to focus in for just a minute. The Lord's really just been working on my heart this week about this matter of why we're here. What's the purpose of us being here? In 1819, George Adkins wrote a hymn, and the hymn goes like this. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. In the last verse, he wrote, Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners until our God makes all things new. Then He will call us home to heaven. And at His table, we will sit down. Christ will gird Himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. Some of you old-timers recognize that hymn, don't you? Brethren, we have met for what? We've met to worship. I want to talk to you today and next Sunday about this important matter of worship. Have you really stopped and put some thought into the fact that we call this a worship service? A worship service. Why do we call it a Worship, service. Service has to do with action, right? You're doing something. It's interesting that in the Bible, the word worship is translated off of two different Greek words. The first one is proskuneo, which is a word that means adoration, devotion. It is literally a picture of bowing down and kissing the ring of the king. You're showing the king homage and adoration because of who he is and what his position is. 
The other word is latria. It is translated in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Uh, in the King James, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, King James says, service. But the ESV and other translations translate that as your reasonable worship. So there's two aspects to worship. There's, first of all, proskuneo to the king and to our God, to our creator. And then there's this matter of service, of action, where we give our life to him in complete surrender. The Lord's been speaking to me this week about this important matter of worship. And I want to go back to my original question with you. Why are you here today? Are you truly here to worship? As the old songwriter wrote, is your heart tuned to sing his praise? Somebody asked, really, what is worship? Years ago, I read the book, Spiritual uh, Christian Disciplines of the uh, Christian Life by Dr. Donald Whitney. And in that, he has a, a chapter on worship. And this is his definition of worship. Look on the screen. Worship is the God-centered focus and response of the soul. It is being preoccupied with God. And that really is a, a, a great definition that encapsulates who we are, what we've create, what we've been created to be, and what we've been created to do. We first of all have a God-centeredness about us. It is our desire as pastors and the staff of this church that every week when you come here, that there is a sense of God-centeredness. It's, it's not man-centered, it's God-centered. There's a sense in which you are asked or brought to a moment where there is a response from your soul. It's just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When he came into the presence of the Lord, he, he began to cry out, I'm unclean, woe is me. So when you come into God's presence and you are a worshiper, there is a response from your soul. That response may be praise, adoration. That response may be joy. There is certainly a response of holiness, as we talked about last week, that our God is holy and our God is just. And so the response of our soul will be repentance when we see His holiness and we see our sinfulness. He says it's being preoccupied with God. I think sometimes we view this gathering like this as we're going to walk in here and we're going to, of course, have our normal routines of life and uh, burdens on us and things that we've encountered and, and uh, had to uh, be involved in during the week. And, and I will be the first to confess to you that there have been many times in my life when I have gathered for this corporate kind of gathering, and I have certainly been preoccupied, but it wasn't God that I was preoccupied with. I was preoccupied with other things. How many of you are willing to confess today in the house of God that sometimes your mind wanders when you come to church? There's like 12 of us. Come on, we, our mind wonders. You know one of the biggest battles I have in my life? 
is praying and staying focused? You know why your mind just roams all over the place? And sometimes we think of a worship service as, man, Brother Joe needs to have a really good song to kick it off with. You know, we need him to strike a match and kind of get things going in here. And the reality is, you and I have been created to be preoccupied with God before we ever arrive. So worship is not about flipping on a switch as the band fires it up. Worship is who we are and who we've been created to do. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, because we were created to proscuneo and latria, worship is the normal employment of moral beings. You say, what's my job today, pastor? Here it is. It's to worship. You're employed. You have a job to do. You are a worshiper. God wired you to be that way. And here's the reality, gang. Every person worships. You're worshiping something today. The question that we need to ask as God's people is the worship that we are offering, is that worship acceptable to God? Is it pleasing to God? I want you to go with me in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 25 to 33. Grab your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 25 to 33, and we're going to look at an Old Testament time frame and passage when the people of God got off track in worship that is acceptable to God. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. I'm going to read down through verse 33. After I read the text, I'm going to back up and give you the historical narrative and prepare you for what we're reading uh, in these verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Now, real quick, Shechem, uh, back to the book of Joshua and Judges, was an epicenter for God's people. Shechem is north-central Israel. Penuel is on the other side of the Jordan River. Now King Jeroboam fortifies these two cities as a place uh, from where, which his government would reign, and these are two places from which he would protect the people of God. Verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel. He got some advice, and here's the plan he came up with. He made two calves of gold. He said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one of those calves in Bethel. The other he put in the north at Dan. Then this thing became a sin 
For the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places. He appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. That feast was on the 15th day of the 7th month. He offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. He placed in Bethel the priest of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, on a day like this, I know there are probably some that are at home watching online. We're grateful to to have the technology for them to be able to do that. It's also a day on a rainy, gloomy day, Lord, where we pray for safety as we go home in just a few minutes. You brought us here to this place for a reason. And as you have penetrated my heart this week with that question, why are we here and why do we do what we do? Today and next Sunday, I pray that you would help me, enable me to bring a word to your people that you've laid on my heart of what is acceptable worship. That when we come into your presence, there is a response in our soul And that no matter what comes at us in life that occupies our time and our attention, we are always simultaneously preoccupied with God in a biblical worldview. Because the normal pattern of our life is that we are made to be worshipers. So would you help me now in this Old Testament passage to bring to life and to bring application to us as your people. We know that if we don't learn from history, history repeats itself. And God, I look around today and I see how history is repeating itself in some ways in the church, that we are confused at times about what true worship really is. At other times, we've made worship about us and not about you. Remind us today of the call to surrender and the call to do things your way in your plan. Holy Spirit of God, speak to us now in these moments, I pray. In Christ's name, God's people said. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Yet later on in his life, he totally got off track. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. God comes to him back in chapter 11 and says, Solomon, listen, you're off track. You are worshiping the gods of the Canaanites and of Baal. Your family is inundated with paganism. You have carried your rule and your reign in a direction that I told you I never wanted it to go. Because you've done this, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear your kingdom into pieces. Now remember, Solomon is David's son. The Davidic kingship is promised to David and to his 
lineage and God would never go back on his word and what he had promised him. And so now his son Solomon is so far off the rails, God has a plan that's about to be enacted. He said to Solomon, Solomon, I'm going to rip the kingdom apart. I'm not going to do it completely. I'm not going to completely take it out of your hand because of your father, David. I'm going to leave you with one tribe. Ten of the tribes are going to be stripped away from you. It's not going to happen in your lifetime, and the only reason it's not is out of my love for David, your father, who did right in my sight. There was a man in Solomon's administration. He was the head of the workforce labor. His name was Jeroboam. Solomon had identified that Jeroboam was full of energy. He knew how to uh, get the people together. He knew how to get tasks done. And so he made Jeroboam his workforce labor uh, chief. One day, Jeroboam is walking down the road outside of Jerusalem, and the prophet Ahijah appears to him. Ahijah said, Jeroboam, uh, I want you to take uh, the pieces from my coat. He takes his coat off, and he begins to rip it into pieces. And he hands Jeroboam 10 of those pieces. He said, Jeroboam, this is the sign of what is taking place. God's had enough with Solomon and his kingship. He's going to divide the kingdom. And Jeroboam, God has chosen you. You're going to be the king of a new kingdom with 10 of the tribes. So he holds those 10 pieces in his hand. And Ahijah says to him, but look, here's the deal. You are to follow the statutes and the commandments and the ways of the Lord. Don't be like, don't be like the administration you're in now. You stay faithful. God's not going to take away the Davidic kingdom, but he's going to start a new kingdom with you, and it's going to be vast. It'll be massive. It will rival the Davidic kingdom if you will walk in my ways and obey my commands. Jeroboam goes back to his job there in Solomon's uh, palace, and somehow the word got to Solomon about this encounter. Solomon became jealous and he decided, I need to kill Jeroboam because he's going to take over my kingdom. He's going to overthrow me and take my job. And so Jeroboam gets wind of that, and he flees down to Egypt to flee for his life. Solomon ages 40 years. He's the king uh, there in Israel. And the day came when Solomon died. He was buried in the city of David by his father, of course, David. So the next in line is Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So we got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. They're not brothers. I remember my pastor growing up would say, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all the Boam boys, okay? So, so they're not brothers, they're, they're, but, but they're in. Uh, Rehoboam is the son, and so they're there together, no doubt, and knew each other well, but Rehoboam takes over as the king. In chapter 12 at the beginning, it says, that Rehoboam made his way up to Shechem for his own coronation uh, of being the king. When he gets there, surprisingly, Jeroboam in Egypt had heard of Solomon's passing, and he journeyed up to the north, and he had gotten connected with some of God's people, and they wanted to speak a word to Rehoboam about his kingship. When he arrives, this is what the people say to Rehoboam. Rehoboam, your father Solomon has been hard on us. He threw a yoke on us. He was unfair. He was, he was uh, very 
a difficult on us. He made it hard on us with very strenuous labor. And here's what we're asking of you. Would you lighten up a little bit? We'll work. We'll work hard. We'll serve you. We'll honor you. We'll be loyal to you as the king. But please back off of us. Rehoboam is now 41 years old. He says, give me three days and I'll give you an answer. So the first group of people Rehoboam goes to for counsel is the elders of the kingdom. No doubt some of them had worked with his father Solomon. So he goes to them and says, here's the deal, guys. What do you think I should do? And their response was, look, Rehoboam, this is a golden opportunity. Speak words of grace. Speak words of blessing. Speak kind words to the people, and they will be endeared to you. They will they'll be loyal to you. They'll serve you if you'll just lighten up. He leaves that meeting, and he goes, and he meets with the younger generation. Probably some of them were his cohorts, his peers, his buddies, and they said to him right the opposite. They said, no, 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 no. That's not what you should do. You need to flex. You need to show them there's a new sheriff in town. That's not in the Hebrew there. That's my English vernacular. You need to show them you're in charge. Because if you start lightening up on them, you're going to lose control. And and you need to tell them, here's what they said, hold up your pinky finger in front of them and tell them that your pinky is thicker and stronger than your daddy's thighs. Rehoboam ponders that, and unfortunately, In his humanity, he chose the second option. It says that he stood in front of the people and did write the opposite of what his father wrote in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Solomon wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a soft answer will turn away wrath, but grievous words will stir up anger. And so Rehoboam speaks very harshly to the people. He says to them, everyone hear me. You think it was hard under my dad. He came at you with whips. I'm going to come at you with scorpions. It's fixing to really get bad around here. So obviously this stirs up the angst in the people. They go back to their tents. No doubt they're having conversations. They don't like it. They don't like what's going on. Uh, What are we going to do? Rehoboam feels the pressure, the angst, the pushback of that. He sends a Durham to say, basically, all right, everybody, get back to work. And the people stoned Adoram to death. Rehoboam hears about that, and he's going, maybe I'm next. So he flees back to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he kind of retools and rekindles. He gets an army together of 180,000. Now, if you're doing the math on 12 tribes, and you know that Jeroboam gets 10, the scripture says Rehoboam only gets one. It's because the tribe of Benjamin is divided. It's split in half, and it's ultimately grafted into the tribe of Judah. So it says there are 180,000 Benjamites, and Rehoboam is about to go to war against his own people when the prophet of God shows up. The prophet is Shemaiah, and he says to Rehoboam, Rehoboam, don't do this. Don't do this. You're making a mistake. How in the world can you go to war against your own family, against your own people? And the only time recorded in the Scripture where Rehoboam does what God told him to do is that he relents 
and he doesn't go. Now, it's very interesting for us to think, humanly speaking, what if Rehoboam would have made another choice? I mean, we look at it and we go, come on, man, you're, you're in your pride. You're, you're doing your own thing. And, and it would be very easy for us to shape this narrative thinking about the decision of mankind. But that's not what happens. What happens is what we find in chapter 12 and verse 23 and 24. Shimei says, God's doing this. This is the will of God. I want you to hear me today. Sometimes we look at the decisions of man and we think man is in charge, even when man gets stupid. <laughs> but God is sovereign. Dale Davis said God is sovereign in the stupidity. Going all the way back to Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I'm fixing to rip this kingdom apart. How, how am I going to do this? I'm going to do this even through the decision of Rehoboam. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 15 up on the screen. It says, so, so instead of Rehoboam listening to the words of the people and taking it to heart and responding pop, uh, uh, properly, the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord. For it fulfilled the message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. Listen to me, church. Hear me today. Always be reminded that God never has a day where he wrings his hands and then makes decisions based off of what man does. God is sovereign. God is in control. So we look at this story and and we see now the people are, are anxious, they're, they're grievous, they're upset. So here's what they do. They turn to Jeroboam. They bring Jeroboam in front, and they crown Jeroboam as the king of Israel. Now watch, this is the moment that the kingdom is divided. So now we have the northern part of Israel, which is Israel, and then we have a border and we have the southern part of Israel, which is Judah, and it includes the city of Jerusalem. So now the kingdom is divided. We've got a king in the south, Solomon's son, the Davidic lineage. He only has one tribe. And we have the kingdom of the north with King Jeroboam, who has ten tribes. So Jeroboam finds himself in charge. And in that moment, when you're in a position of leadership like that in Israel, there's two really main things. Number one, you are a political leader. You're the king. you got to be thinking about the enemies, and you got to think about war. But the most important thing you need to be thinking about is that you are in a God-ordained position, and it is your job to lead the people into proper worship. The worship of God. I remember a minute ago when I said that Ahijah said to Jeroboam, Jeroboam, when you get, it's coming, it's going to happen. And when it happens and you get in that position, you better stay focused on the statutes and the commandments of the Lord. You better obey the Lord all your days and He will bless you. But in the text that I read for you just a minute ago, unfortunately, this is what happened. One day, 
Jeroboam starts having a conversation with himself. How many of you do that? How many of you have some good conversations with yourself and some bad conversations? The text I read for you says, Jeroboam said in his heart. Anybody discovered that your heart can get you in trouble? The heart is desperately wicked. (laughs) Who can know it? That's why it's very important for us as parents to not say to our children, follow your heart. Do what your your heart is telling you. No, we should be saying, follow God and do what God is telling you. Jeroboam says in his heart, I may have a problem here. The problem is this. The people of God, God's command, God's design, had to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Of course, Solomon had built the temple. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Holy of Holies. It was was the place of worship. And they they knew that, that they were commanded by God to go there and to be a part of public worship. But because Jeroboam was insecure in his mind and his heart, he became fearful. And he said, you know what? If, if the people go down there, they may have conversations with some of Rehoboam's people. And, and, and they may say, man, it's a whole lot better down here. Or they might say, why would you live way up there when, when the temple's right here? You want to be close to the presence of God. So, so come back here. And his mind goes so far as to think that those people might even come back and kill him. And thus, Rehoboam would be able to take over the whole kingdom once again. So he sought some counsel from the people around him, and here's what he does. He sets up a golden calf. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? When Moses comes down off Mount Sinai, what does he find? He finds a golden calf. You see, golden calves were not uncommon in this pagan uh, worship. As a matter of fact, a bull, a golden bull, would have been representative of the gods of fertility. It was used in a variety of ways. And Jeroboam knew about the golden calf that had taken place with Aaron and with Moses. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make an image, and I'm going to sell it as representing God. And so I'll make a place that's more convenient. It's above the border. If you live in the south, you can just go to Bethel. There'll be a golden calf, a place of worship there. If you live in the north, you can go to Dan, and there'll be an altar there with a golden calf. And he begins to sell this to the people under his leadership as an alternate way to worship God. Now, I want to take this today and next Sunday, and I'm just going to give you one point to my sermon today. And I want us to challenge our hearts. I want to challenge us as a church to evaluate ourselves and to make sure that we do not have our own plan of what acceptable worship is to God, but that we are following God in His plans for our worship. Anybody tracking with me? The first thing I want you to see is that if we are going to offer acceptable worship to God, we must follow God's divine design. What made Jeroboam think that he could devise 
his own plan. We know that his insecurity led him into that, but what made him think that that God would be okay with him seeking counsel from the people around him and then coming up with his own plan? Because when I read the Scriptures, I clearly see that our God is very meticulous in the manner in which he is worshipped. Our God is a God of order. We don't worship him truly. We're not true worshipers if we do not worship him his way. Jeroboam gets things out of order. I want you to notice, following God's design, I want you to notice the first thing that he did is he divided up God's people. There's two kingdoms, but that doesn't mean that the northern kingdom of Israel could not be obedient to God and make their way to Jerusalem for the time of worship. And so he divided the people. I remind you, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for his church, his bride, for Christians today, that we would be united in our worship. That we know who we worship and why we worship. I want you to look on the screen. Notice in the two kingdoms, we've got two different kinds or different forms of worship. I I read this in a book I was in this week, and I, I asked Jordan to reproduce it for me. This is not my own, but it really gives you a breakdown of what's going on. In the south, in Judah, where Rehoboam is, there are no graven images. There's a reason why Moses came down from Mount Sinai with Ten Commandments, and one of them is, you will not make any graven images. So any type of religion or Christianity that has images is in violation of the Scripture. We have no images in Judah, but in the north, there are golden calves. And I I want you to get this. Remember that the Canaanite Baal worship was all about images. So what we have is God's people who are just blending in with the world and the world's former religion by having their own images. Notice in Judah and the south, there is the Levitical priesthood. Read Exodus chapter 40. God said, pour the oil over Aaron and pour it over his sons. Leviticus chapter 21 reminds us of the duties of the priest. And the priest is to, it says, Aaron, gather the boys, gather the brothers together and anoint them and give them their responsibility. This is God's divine order. That priest would only come, they would only come through the Levitical lineage. But in the north, Jeroboam came up with his own priesthood. And he said, you know what, I'm going to diversify this thing. I'm going to I'm not just going to come from one tribe. I've got a plan. We're going to get everybody involved, and we're going to pick a couple from this tribe and a couple from that tribe. And he came up with his own priesthood. In the south, there's a central place to worship. It's called the temple, the sanctuary of the Lord. But watch this. Jeroboam Jeroboam sets up sanctuaries on the high places. Now, if you were to go with me today to the city of Dan, as you're walking into the city gates that are still there, just to the right of the gates, 
there is an altar. It's a stone altar that has some various shapes on top of it. And there's actually a little monument there beside it that quotes a passage from 1 Kings to show that this is the high place. When you're reading your Bible and you read about the high place, it's speaking of Canaanite Baal worship to false gods. So instead of worship being central at the temple, Jeroboam says, hey, I'll just I'll just build some sanctuaries, or we'll have sanctuary here in the high places. Trying to blend in with the religion and the things that were already going on. Notice that in the south of Judah, there is a separatist cult. And the author here means this in the sense of cult in a positive sense, in that there is a group of people that are totally sold out and committed to their God. You see, our faith, the faith of the Bible, we are monotheistic. Mono meaning one. We believe that there is one true God. Just one. Not many, one. We're monotheistic. And you can imagine how this just pressed on the culture, this Canaanite culture, because in their mind, they needed a God for everything. A God for the sun, and a God of the moon, and a God of fertility, and a God of the harvest, and a God for everything we can think of. And our God, our Creator, the true Creator says, you don't need many gods. You have me. I'm the one true God. But yet in the north now, Jeroboam creates this atmosphere of syncretism, of mixing in things into the faith of God's people. Can I suggest to you that today in 2023, we have the same things going on? People are trying to mix things in with Christianity their own eyes, their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own plans. And God said, no, I, I, want, you, I want you to stay faithful to me. I, I, I want to say this to you. I, I believe with all of my heart that the call of God upon my life is to stick to the plan. <laughs> stick to the plan. Jeroboam didn't stick to the plan. And I would make a note there that, that, that he violated God's law of image worship. He, he made these sanctuaries. He diverted, he diverted the people from the very presence of God. He put spiritual leaders over God's people that were not qualified and were not called to lead. There's a call of God that comes at the time of salvation. And I believe there's a call of God that comes upon spiritual leaders. You see, you don't say, or maybe you do, maybe sometimes you have this thought, you know, I can do that. I could do what, I could do what Tim does. I would just say, hey, try it. <laughs> try it. I would just say, I'm being funny there, but I would also say, just as a word of encouragement and challenge, you better pray about it and know God's calling you to do it or you won't last very long. Because there's a call that comes with it. That's God's divine order, right? 
that God calls some people and then He doesn't call other people. It's kind of like there's some people that are saved and there's some people that are not saved. And I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. I just know that we're called to preach the gospel. I know we're called to listen to the voice of the Lord. And I know there's a unique call upon some to lead and to shepherd and to care for God's people. And what is a, what is a shepherd supposed to do? Shepherd's supposed to say, this is what God's told us to do. We need to get busy doing it. We need to obey the statutes, obey the commandments. There's a reason why Charles Spurgeon said there will come a time when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. There's a calling. There's a calling. Notice what Jeroboam does in his calling on his life. This is so... You want to talk about changing up the order of service? The Feast of the Tabernacles is the 15th day of the seventh month. That's what's going on down in Judah. Jeroboam says, we're not going to do it that way. We're, we're going to meet on the eighth month and the 15th day. You see, on the surface, it seems like, it seems like that Jeroboam is, is doing a good thing. Hey, I want to, I want to lead worship in the north. I'm, I'm going to set up a plan. I'll get into next week about how he sold that plan to the people and, and got them on board. Here's one man, here's one man who led God's people away from acceptable worship that is pleasing to God. You know what the rest of the story is for Jeroboam? Again, I'll come back to this next week. When you read chapter 14, God comes to him and says, Jeroboam, I'm angry with you. I'm disgusted with you. I'm furious with you. You made them golden calves. You did it your own way. And Jeroboam, God's words, I want you to know I am going to burn it all down. You see, church, we don't worship God our own way in our own manner. We worship God in His way. What is the Father seeking today? And I'm going to kind of bring this to a close. What is our create? What is what is God our Father, our Creator, truly seeking today from us? Please hear me. God doesn't have an attendance role on realm up in heaven, and He's just checking to see if you showed up. He knows. He knows whether I'm here for the right reasons or not. He knows what my mind and my heart are truly preoccupied with, what my focus is. God knows. What is the Father seeking today? He's seeking His children who truly worship Him, who come to Him not just to receive fire insurance, to stay out of hell, but come to Him in complete surrender to Him as a true worshiper. In John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well with the woman of Samaria. You've read that before. And so they start having this conversation. And she says, you know, I can tell that you're a good prophet. So I want you to answer a question for me. 
Should I go, should I go to Jerusalem? There's a temple in Jerusalem that her family went to. It was a Canaanite temple. It was a temple to Baal and false gods. And her not fully understanding who Jesus was, she said, should I, should I go to church with them? Or should I go down to Jerusalem? There, there are other people traveling down there to the temple. Which place should I go to church? And Jesus responded to her, the hour is coming and now it is here when the, say those two words with me, true worshipers, the real worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit. That's a small s. Someone came to me after the service, one of the guys in the Navy, and said, Pastor, I'd love to have a conversation with you as soon as I can. I want to talk more about spirit and truth, spirit and truth. We're engaged, we're engaged with our spirit in worship. And our worship is focused on truth. Where does our truth come from? Not from our feelings, but from God's divine design and order. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him, to focus on Him. He goes on in verse 24. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So worship is not just about 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, 10.45 on Sunday morning. I'm going to show up and we're going to sing some songs and we're going to endure another message. And then I'm going to go back and I'll worship again next Sunday. That's not what worship is. Worship is something you do every day in your life. We are wired to be worshipers. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. Our worship is tied to God's divine design and His order. I look around on the church scene today and I see churches that maybe have a lot of flash, a lot of bright lights, a lot of things going on. I watched a documentary just a couple weeks ago about this church in Australia, Hillsong Church. And I watched a documentary about that church, and it was like it blew up around the world with, I don't know, 75 campuses and all this hoopla going on. And it was a place where a lot of music was coming out of and a lot of things going on. And there were a lot of people that were going, wow, they're doing it. That place is awesome. We want to be like them. And the documentary just began to unpack and unfold how there was child abuse going on there in the church. How that the pastors were living very immoral lives. Some of them have confessed that and said, yeah, that's what I was doing. But we look on the surface and we say, man, crowds and things and action and activity. And I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with all of those things. God's not looking at the activity. God's looking underneath all of that. And He's looking at our hearts. The call to follow Christ, the call to follow Jesus, is a call to deny yourself 
take up your cross and follow me. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about that cross and the sacrifice that goes with it. Acceptable worship to our Father is a life that is totally surrendered to God and His order for our lives. And His order for the local New Testament church. Am I speaking to folks today that want to please Him? Oh, that was like a moan. Am I speaking to folks today that you want to please Him? And it starts, it starts with divine order, following His commands, and that pleases Him. Would you stand with me?